Hey, and a very warm welcome to the Into the Light Web podcast with me, your hostess, Joanna Hunter, metaphysical teacher, spiritual life and business coach, published author, and the high priestess of the Light Web, a spiritual technology that will change your life. This is the place to be to talk everything under the Light Web from consciousness, relationships to money to spiritual business and everything in between. Hello and a warm welcome. It's Joanna Hunter here for another episode of Into the Light Web podcast. And I am joined today on the show by the beautiful Jennifer. Jennifer, come and say hi. Come and introduce yourself properly so people know what it is that you do in the world and who you are. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. So my name is Jennifer Moore, and I am the author of the book Empathic Mastery, and I'm a fairy godmother for empaths. And uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm teaching people how to use EFT to either help themselves heal or help other people heal. Beautiful. I love that. I love this concept, as you know. I I love this concept of you being a fairy godmother for empaths because so many people are becoming more and more empathic. It's definitely on the rise, right? It really is. It really is. Yeah, definitely on the rise. Um, But here's the thing. When you're first recognizing or not recognizing that you're an empath, but when you're first kind of awakening those gifts inside of you, it can feel like a little bit of an attack of the body snatchers of like, you don't really know what's going on and you think you're losing your mind a little bit. Yeah. And all of a sudden you can feel like raging or you can feel like really sad or like you're running that roller coaster and like that. Talk us through a little bit of somebody who maybe is an empath um, what is the things that they might be experiencing and not realizing, hello, this is your empathic ability coming to the surface? Absolutely. So first off, I'm just going to start by sharing my personal definition with the word of the word empath, because there is no, there's no like agreed upon definition. We're talking about a science fiction term here. It's not clinical. And so it's, and if, you know, it started out as a science fiction story and then it eventually got onto Star Trek and then it got onto Star Trek again, and then it sort of made it into pop culture. And so a lot of our references are based on things we've seen on television and movies and everything, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody saw the same thing or agreed to the same idea. So my sense of what an empath is, is that an empath is a being, could be a human being, could be an animal, could be a plant maybe, but is a being who is picking up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, and the sensations that are coming from the world around them. But unlike other people or beings with extrasensory perception, like people with intuition, with psychic ability or mediumship, the thing about an empath is that empaths recognize or empaths process all of these thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations as if it's their own. 
And so, for example, an empath will, you know, a psychic might walk into a room where something intense has happened and they'd be like, wow, what just happened in here? This feels really, I feel a lot of anger. I feel a lot of sadness. I feel a lot of tension or conflict. The empath walks into the same room and just goes, why do I suddenly feel so angry? Why do I suddenly feel so weird? Why am I feeling so sad? And the challenge for a lot of us is that when these abilities or this capacity to absorb energy and emotions that are coming from the world around us, um, it, it sort of comes online. For some of us, it starts as children. For some of us, it starts as we get older. For some of us, it starts because there's just so much energy in the world coming at us that we start, don't have the ability to block it out. But when that often starts to happen, we think it's our stuff. We think we're processing our own emotions and it can make it really confusing because all of the things that we would do to try to deal with our own feelings uh -huh. don't work. And so one of the things that I've noticed for people who are empaths is that one of the dead giveaways that you're experiencing what I call empathic overwhelm is that you are feeling out of sorts, wonky, you know, just like totally strange for no apparent reason. And I will add a caveat to that, which is that, and you've done enough of your own personal work on your inner triggers and the stuff from your past and your childhood that you know yourself well enough to be able to say, okay, I know that this is not about the time that I got kicked off the baseball team when I was five. I know that this is not about the experience I had when I was 16. This doesn't fit or correlate with anything going yeah. on in my own life, but I'm really picking up on all of this energy and this intensity and this stuff. And so the first step in my experience of navigating this is beginning to be able to recognize first, even just claiming the identity and saying, oh, I am an empath and I am susceptible to picking up the signals and the energy and the emotions that are, are meant for other people. And I think that what I've noticed is that empaths, and a lot of times, if, if somebody was or grew up as an empath, they've been told from the time they were really, really little, you're too sensitive, you're overreacting, you're taking things too personally, you are, you know, just suck it up, get over it, you have too overactive imagination. And so a lot of times, this not only affects empaths in terms of them thinking there's something wrong or broken about them, but also where, because the people in their environment we're not owning their own feelings. We're not taking responsibility. The empaths a lot of times would be processing things that weren't theirs and trying to deal with that. But when they commented about it or said things or just had an emotional reaction to it, a lot of times they were also invalidated and told that's not really going There's on. A lot you know, of gaslighting of empaths. A lot of gaslighting. Like, you know, and, I had that when I'm growing up. There was a lot of gaslighting and sometimes I just had this deep knowing that there was something going down and and of course it would transpire to be right but before it transpired to be right it would often be followed by if you commented on it it would be followed by gaslighting exactly I not know that you know and and things and it was that invalidation I think a lot of people can really really um 
yeah they can really like resonate with that yeah and as a fairy godmother you help people um to kind of heal the the kind of trauma of maybe being an unrecognized empath for many years and then starting to integrate that because a lot of people um I know a lot of previous clients of mine and things like that have come to me as what I call a very raw empath and the fact that they haven't really learned how to leverage that as a gift yeah so it's just this kind of weird additional appendage that is causing more problems than good yes and then of course we work together to get that get them focused and help to integrate that and to really really honor their empathic abilities as the absolutely beautiful and special gift that they are but uh, you do that for your clients as well. Yes. Um, and one of your favorite tools in that and helping to get a handle is you're also an EFT trainer. So you do EFT as well. So EFT for anyone who is listening to this and thinking, what is EFT? It's known as emotional freedom technique. Exactly. Uh, and I'll let you explain a little bit about how that can help an empath. So EFT, emotional freedom techniques, is basically the simplest way to describe it is that it is a form of mental, emotional, and energetic and physical and yeah, energetic acupuncture without the needles. And it is a way by placing light pressure or tapping on end meridian endpoints like or acupressure points on our body. What we can do is we can disrupt places where energy has been congested and energy has gotten trapped and stuck in our body and allow it to flow freely again, thus breaking up patterns that we've been carrying in our body sometimes for like lifetimes, if not for an entire life. And the beautiful thing about EFT is that it also allows us to reset the fight or flight mechanism in our brain, which is called the amygdala and basically reboot our stress response. And so what's wonderful about EFT is that it allows us to go from a state of stressed reactivity to whatever it is that we're reacting to, to being able to reset our nervous system to being calm and grounded so that we can go from reactive reactive to responsive. We can go from sort of from, from resistant to ready. And we are able to find a way to see all of the solutions. Because, you know, one of the things you talk about in the idea, one of the ideas in sort of light web and the healing work that that you do is you talk the difference between source and void is that you will also often talk about the fact that, you know, void is always complicated. And when we are in and when our brain is in a reactive state. The thing is, we are not able to access all of our brain. We are not able to access the frontal cortex. And when we are in source, it gets simple. And the thing is that with EFT, what it allows us to do is to get back to accessing all of our brain. Because when we are in an emotional state, we lose access to the frontal cortex and we only have access to the limbic brain, which is the emotional brain. um, And it controls the amygdala and the brainstem or in like the lizard brain that's in charge of like breathing and things like that. But the thing is, when we're in those emotional states, we don't have the capacity for 
um, curiosity. We don't have the capacity for flexibility. We don't have the capacity to see multiple options. We tend to get blinders on and we see in one direction. So I love- Very much a survival mode, isn't it? Very you know, much a survival like, it's mode. Just like, it's, it's really like that. And I, I call it the dog-eat-dog dog mode. So, mm-hmm. you know, because your, your brain becomes almost like dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's like, it's very much in that, very much, instead of collaboration and the co-creation of co-creating with the divine, you suddenly become in this competitive. Competitive. Because you're you're in that state of energy and the amygdala is just literally at that point running everything because the frontal cortex and all reasoning has literally left Gone. the building. It has literally left the building. We One of yeah. the best descriptions I've ever seen is somebody, you take your thumb and put it inside of your hand. This is your amygdala. This is your, this is your limbic system. Put your hand over like this. This is your brainstem. And so a healthy brain functions kind of like a fist. But as soon as something, we have some kind of intense threat or emotional intensity, we flip our lid. And it's like, basically, this is what's working. Our, you know, and the t- front of it, the brain is just kind of like, boop, gone. And so it really does affect us. Like we will literally all of, I've heard, you know, all of our uh, muscle, like all of the blood, all of the blood from our brain just kind of rushes down into our muscles. We develop, like we get blinders on, we can see one exit, like we can see one possibility. And the problem with that is that it does not make for good coping skills. But many of us, since we were really, really little, have like learned or were sort of, we have been conditioned to respond to threat from this state of anxious, jacked up fear, instead of learning how to breathe through it and learning how to be in a state of relaxation to move through really stressful times. So EFT for empaths is amazing because it helps us to get control of our nervous system and helps us to start to be able to and and as we start to calm the nervous system down that allows us to start asking the questions what's mine what's not mine is this really mine where is this really coming from what am i really picking up on here what's really going on with this and it gives us an opportunity to make a different choice about this and often to let go of the things that are not serving us I love that. And I mean, as an empath, you're often working with a hijacked central nervous system. Exactly. Because, you know, as Skylar describes empaths are somebody who have literally got a super receiver, which means that you have the ability to interrupt the pattern of energy for someone else and you're receiving. And this is why often if you are an empath, you will sometimes feel like what I call a used Capri Sun juice pouch. Yes. Literally felt like the insides of you have been sucked out and you're like, like this, and it's, it's a, not a nice feeling. Um, or you will always hear this. Uh, you will start to be feeling like the juice pouch that has literally had its liquid insides. And whoever you're with will go, Oh my God, I feel so great. I feel so marvelous. I feel amazing. so much better. <laughs> and you're thinking, no wonder I have literally just sat and interrupted all of the the bad, the, the negative feedback that you've been getting from all of those thoughts that you've been having, all of that overwhelming. And so you haven't been getting the full whammy. 
as an empath, we've been kind of siphoning that off almost. And that's been processing in our nervous system. So being able to tap on the meridian line, uh, shutting down that hijacked nervous system and shutting down that um, ability of like the, the higher functioning, which has also left the building, being able to shut that part down and go back to the higher functioning and say, well, let me think about this. Is this mine? Is this really mine? Is this really mine? And that's such a simple question, but you have to get to a place and an ability to be able to even ask that question. And if you're in fight or flight, or you're in that stress mode where it's, it it is what I call that dog eat dog mode. And you're just like, you know, and sometimes the panic can be just like, get me out of here. Or, you know, you're not thinking, you're not thinking any thoughts beyond that. It's just get me out of the situation. I know many empaths struggle with places like hospitals and shopping malls and busy places that there's a lot of folk. And, you know, and during that time, your predominant thought can literally be get me out of here. But you can nip off to the bathroom for a few moments and do some tapping. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, which is really nice. And also as well, like the one I always like is the, um, the point underneath the collarbone. Yeah, the and collarbone. So sometimes point. if something is really stressful, like you can do that in public, give that a little tap there and it does have a calming effect um, and you can just gently tap there. Yeah. Um, maybe while you're standing in a queue or something like that and you feel the energy of the buzzing in your body. And, you, and if you've got that awareness that you know that this is not yours at this point in time, you can start to use these tools. I love that you're using the tools. Now you touched there on source and void, which is something that Skylar teaches, which is very dear to me of learning the difference between source and void, I think is really important. Yes. Um, And learning the different natures. How have you been able to, because you're one of my students as well. So how have you been able to take those teachings and kind of adapt them into your world as well, because they've been really great for your world too. So tell us a little bit about your experience with that, because they are such a powerful set of teachings. They are so powerful. So I think I'm going to back up and before I was even a teacher, just talk about my personal experience with sort of the difference between source and void, because I've been, I've been really aware of that barrier or that sense of like, there's like the divine, the world of life and love and possibility and uh, an unlimited infinite abundance and then there's the world of like that that sort of cesspool that war or whirlpool of fear that just feels like as soon as you get anywhere near or if I get near it like I can almost feel like the vacuum sucking me down into it again and um you know, there's a book written by a woman in Starhawk who talks about that the, called the fifth sacred thing that came out back in like the, uh, I think the, the, the 90s, the early 90s. And she talks about the concept of El, Mono, El, El Mundo Bueno, the good world, and El Mundo Mal, the bad world. And that, and that there's like a skim between them. And so when you started talking about and introducing the concepts of source and void, I was like, ah, El Mundo Bueno, El Mundo Mal, like this idea of like the one world, like El Mundo, for me, the source world is, is like every, we know, we all it's, it's led by love. It's led by possibility. It's led by divine source. 
the void world is led by human ego and it's led by terror and it's led by fear. And it is also a way to manipulate people into believing that there's only so much pie, you know, and that like he who dies with the most toys wins. The, the, the dog eat dog. The, dog eat dog. Enough. Just there's awful. competition. Uh, you got to struggle. You got to push the boulder up the hill. You got to work hard. All of those are all of those things of the void. All of those things. And so I grew up in a family of atheists. I grew up in a family. I was this magical little child. And I grew up in a family where nobody really believed in any of this stuff. Like they didn't believe in psychic abilities. They didn't believe in, in any sort of divine source. And so I was just constantly being told that I had an overactive imagination, that there was no such thing as divine source. And that, you know, and, and so I was constantly coming up against the fact that I was being told the only thing that exists is the void. The only thing that is here is this miserable human experience um, where like, because my parents were also um, very socially justice oriented, but instead of necessarily always being looking at the solution, there was a lot of like what I call awfulizing that went on in my family and a lot of like looking at things and just being like, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. But there was no sense of trust or faith or hope or possibility other than the idea that like, you know, um, charity and human and service acts of service and love would help turn things around, but there wasn't a sense of things are going to be okay. So I grew up. I, let's touch on that charity yeah. as well, because I, I, you know, we've had many conversations about this and about your parents and things like that, but the charity was even coming from really not a nice place either. Cause it was coming from that servitude of like, feeling like you had to sacrifice, um, yes. you know, and and again, no trust in the divine whatsoever. No trust. Am I going to have to roll up my sleeves here, work really hard, um, because otherwise these people are going to suffer. And if I'm not the one that does it, then, you know, it'll be bad. Um, but sure, I'll put myself on the sacrificial block and literally sacrifice, sacrifice time with family, sacrifice the weekends, sacrifice the evenings, you know, and, and that was something that was very much modeled to you growing up yeah. of yeah. like being this. But of course, as we both know, that uh, does not lead anywhere good because it leads to burnout. It leads to you not being able to kind of really do very much for anyone because you've overgiven. And for an empath, I think overgiving is probably the worst thing that we can do because it depletes us so much yeah. because we're not just processing our feelings, we're processing the world's feelings. Right. And then we overgive on top of that. And no wonder so many very talented empathic and psychic women often end up in these states where they're very burnt out. And yet they feel the they feel the feelings of the world. Yeah. And you know, and it's a beautiful thing that there is such a strong driver that they want to help, but we can't help from empty cups. We cannot help from empty cups. We just we cannot help from empty cups. And you know, and the thing is that depletion is sort of like the depletion is kind of the first step of that 
lose, you know, of that. But then, I mean, I know so many highly sensitive empathic people who want to be making part, be part of the solution, who want to be helping the world and things like fibromyalgia, things like chronic illness, things like autoimmune diseases become issues. And then eventually, if the wake up call is continuously ignored, then it gets to be things that get even more serious, like strokes, heart attacks, cancer. And the thing is, and I can say, I mean, watching my um, watching my highly sensitive, deeply caring mother who really had no connection to source and and really did think that it was entirely on her, just give and give and give like she really would literally, as you were saying, it's like she would be up, she would go, she would come home from work, eat some food and then go into her office and end up on the phone with with patients in distress for like hours every single night. And eventually that turned into, by the time she was in her forties, she was struggling with insomnia. She was struggling with, um, you know, anxiety and that's a huge one, isn't it? That it's huge. all on me, right? It's because all on me. Even just yeah. thinking that the anxiety starts to rise because there's this feeling of like, my God, how am I going to do it all? How am I going to, you know, and for and I I really recognize this feeling of it's all on me. Um, I I say that um, we talk in my world about the poor little me story. So the poor little me, and then you fill in your blank. My favorite, favorite, favorite flavor of that story, of the way the story that I used to disconnect myself from source was, poor little me, it's all on me. I have to do it all myself. And it was, and that story would take my vibration down every time. Just the telling of that story would make me feel deathly depressed. I would feel so low. I would feel so crap. And very, very shortly after that low and crap feeling, I would then have overwhelmment. I would be completely yep. overwhelmed. Um, and of course, I would feel like I couldn't turn to anyone because guess what the story said? The story said it was all on me and there was like no help out there. And of course, that was the reality I also attracted of constantly being in this like kind of like just me against the world. And it was such a difficult, disconnected state of being. And I can't imagine, you know, I've always been really grateful in the fact that I've always had an awareness of spirit. And I've always had my faith in some way, shape or form. I can't imagine how difficult that journey must have been for your mum with being an atheist and out that faith. Yeah. Of like, because for me, there was there was still, even though I was telling that story, there was still a knowing like way back in the back of my mind that on some level, I've literally just spouted bullshit and that there was something there bigger than me that could help me. But I wasn't always open <laughs> to receiving that help. Right, I can't right. imagine what it would be like to tell that story and put that weight and pressure on. And I mean, obviously, your mom worked with psychological things. So right. the stakes are high because, you know, you may be working with clients and patients that have severe depression and suicidal isolation. And, you know, these are big, heavy topics, big, heavy topics. Yeah. If you don't show up for that person, it might be game over for that person and such pressure to place on oneself. Um, And it sounds to me like your mom was like a true empath, wore her heart on her sleeve, but had none of the amazing tools 
None of the tools. I mean, what's interesting is that with her, I mean, she had been raised Catholic, but left the church when she was in her early twenties before I was even born. And so, and, and she, so she not only didn't have source, but she kind of had an ax to grind against source. And so she was like, um, actively resistant to any kind of faith or any kind of path that could offer her something different. But what she did have, interestingly, is that my mom was a psychiatric nurse and a psychotherapist who eventually trained in hypnotherapy. And my mother was a hypnotherapist. She was, you know, did it for like, I think probably like 25, 30, 35 years. That's what she did as her career. And so there was something about like, it was almost like the hypnotherapy was um, scientific enough that she was able to work with it and use it with, um, with all of her clients. And to some extent with herself, she was able to use it, but she, um, you know, but, but it was sort of like, because it was sort of like spirit light in a way, Mm -hmm. she sadly always would say that she was a horrible, um, hypnotic subject herself, like that she could not go into trance. And I think part of it was my mother was so hypervigilant and was somebody who, and when I say was my mom is still physically alive as of the recording of this, but, but dementia has completely taken her away from us. And so in a way it's like who she was really is a was not who she is anymore. And And that's a hard thing for anyone facing dementia, because there's almost like two deaths in a way that the person that you once knew is gone but their physicality is still very much here. Yeah. And then of course there's the final one. Right. Um, and it's always such a difficult journey, I think of, um, I remember once working, you know, as working as a medium and, and bringing through someone who was still on the earth plane, but they made contact through a mediumship channel and being able to bring them through. And, and it was beautiful because it, it gave that person sort of closure in a way of the person that they had lost and allowed them to show up in greater love for the person that was still still there. Yeah. Still there, you know, but um, but it was it was a beautiful reading. But I remember feeling totally shocked uh that that they were still physically here. And I was like, but no, but they're over <laughs> over there. I was communicating with my father. Um, you know, I was, I remember I, I communicated with my father 10 months before he died, um, you know, and just was able to speak like he was, he was gone. Cause sadly in my family, both parents ended up with dementia. Um, and, and I just want to say that in the case of my mom, I really think that, Uh, I can't say, I mean, there's genetic predisposition, there's all kinds of different factors that contribute to dementia. But I will say that I think a lot of her uh, codependency and her projection into this, these ideas of she was the only one responsible, like the, the amount of stress that she experienced and went through on a constant basis was definitely might not have been the causes of it, but certainly did not help. And I think in many ways, probably exacerbated, like she ended up having um, a TIA, uh, like a mini, mini stroke 
back in good lord uh 2011 now mm -hmm. so quite a while ago like um 12 years ago and uh that was really pretty much the beginning of the whole thing and she was in her at that point in time i mean she was born in 1935 so we're talking she was in her mid 70s when this happened for her and her life just completely changed and i believe that the tia was a direct result of like something like 20 years of chronic insomnia because she would just lie in bed worrying about everybody perseverating she'd be running the stories about other people's problems in her head and she just was literally losing sleep every single night. And eventually, I really do believe that that lack so of many light to care for her, so many light workers, so many light workers, they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're taking on everybody's stuff. I mean, I I have known clients of mine. Bless them. They are more worried about their clients' problems than their clients are worried about those problems. You know, yes, and it's, it's it's, and that's one of the beautiful things with the work that both myself and you do, Jennifer, is we help people to kind of like put things back into perspective, into a healthy perspective, help them work with their source connection and really connect into that so that they don't end up in these like situations where they burn out or they're laying awake at night worrying about problems that are not even theirs, but they've taken this client on and it's like, oh, well, I signed up for the taking the client on and their issues, you know, right, and you're bringing right. it all and you're taking all of that. And I think it's it's such a normal thing within uh, light workers. I mean, I've worked many times with women who are light workers, extraordinary healers, extraordinary, amazing healers, and you know, and they're working with this energy of um, they take these clients on, and then they're like over delivering, you know, yes. like um, you know, they're checking in on them, and they're you know, there there's not maybe often a lot of self-leadership in there um, and then also as well like I've worked with many healers who have been in-person healers and and you know the client comes and sometimes you know they're charging sort of here in the UK maybe 30 or 40 pounds for a healing session but that client leaves and they've had a card reading the healing session that they actually paid for they leave with a bag of crystals worth about 20 quid and and, you know, and, and maybe some Palo Santo because, oh, they really need to, you know, and I feel like that sense is as light workers, there is this real importance of taking personal responsibility and really understanding the fundamental basic that we cannot serve from that empty cup. We cannot um, serve from that empty to, cup. We've got to fill it up. And yeah. once we're filled up, we don't have to take all of that on of other people. And um, because not only does it disempower us when we do it, it disempowers the client too. It disempowers them. And, you know, the thing is that if as, as a healer, as a light worker, and I mean, there are so many pieces or tangents that we could go down because there's a whole connection that I've seen about um, blocking money when we're behaving in this way Be course, and, because, and blocking clients because you cannot possibly work with a lot of clients if you are basically giving everything you're bleeding yourself dry with even one 
you're going to stop the channel from more clients coming in because energy protection, protection, you, will, you know, spirit will protect you and not actually, and you'll, you'll be wondering why can't I get more clients? Why can't I find more people? But the truth is the question you should really be asking yourself is energetically in your energy system, could you actually handle more clients? Because you are literally giving it all for the people that you have. And it's not a bad thing to, you know, to show up 100% and be fully present for your clients. It's what we're talking about when that tips the scales into void energy and you're overgiving. Right. And then you feel resentful because you've actually given too much. Right. Um, and well, and when I... we're taking responsibility for other people's healing and other people's journeys. And what I was going to say before I sort of commented about the money is that as a light worker, as a healer, I think that anybody knows that like being connected to source and being connected to our own power and being able to like care for ourselves. Like if we envision a client, we'll see that client and be like, I wish she could care for herself more. I wish she could love herself more. I wish she could access her power or more like that's some of the things that we want and yet we will sometimes model even though we want this for that person we model the absolute worst we model the opposite of it we model giving away our power we model over giving overdoing and depleting ourselves and so we're showing we're doing this thing where there's an energetic mismatch where what's happening is we are basically saying do what i say not what i do except that we always respond to energy not words if we have if if we are living oh, in a place where there are words and there's energy it does not matter what somebody is saying we will respond to what they what they are project the energy that they are they are generating and that they are that is in the world and so as healers as light workers when we get into that i'm going to give and give and give and give and give and give and give the problem with that is that it actually it doesn't do your client any good because the thing is that we are actually giving them the frequency of depletion we might be trying to give a bunch of stuff to them but the thing is, what we're actually giving them is a frequency of desperation, a frequency of urgency, Absolutely. a frequency and of depletion. I feel yeah. it's not actually empathy that we're giving. Empathy is, I know what you're going through, or I can feel what you're going through and it must suck, you know, but we're, our energy remains clean. Sympathy is like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. And often as light workers, it's a very thin line. Yes. Now, you know, because the moment that we feel sorry for our clients um, is the moment we've crossed from empathy into sympathy. Yes. And sympathy is a very disempowering energy. It has little value in being able to move a person forward. It's pretty useless. Someone else going, wow, that's so terrible. <laughs> Cheers. It's, I mean, it's so, dis <laughs> yeah. we are, it's so disempowering in the sense that we are validate. We are looking at somebody going through a hard time and we are 
seeing it as permanent instead of temporary. We are yeah. seeing it as a problem that needs to be fixed instead of trusting that this person has the resources, that they have the resilience, that they have that. And what I really believe as a fairy godmother is that my job is to hold the highest vision for you of who you can be. My job is to is to see you in all of your beauty and, and hold the mirror up so that you can see your beauty as well and recognize your light and start expressing that light. And so I, you know, yeah, I had a situation come up with one of my fairy godmother apprentices the other day where they had a, a just an absolutely ridiculous situation come up that was extremely stressful. And the thing was that I could be empathic with her and be like, wow, this really sucks. I am so sorry that you are going through this. And instead of just being like going down the rabbit hole of worry, I was like, and I know that you've got this. I know that you've got this. I've called on my helpers and guides to give you the support that they can give you. And you've got your higher power. Like you got this, you're going to get through it. And sure enough, she got it and got through it and is feeling a little bit exhausted from all the rallying that they had to do to get ready for the situation because it involved an inspection. But um, but they're on the other side of it and they're okay. And I know that if I had and gone that down belief, that- Holding the space for that belief in another human being, I think is yeah, so fundamental. faith in another human being. Absolutely. Because sometimes yeah. we do, we're short on faith right? You go, you're going through it. The problems are cropping up and you do feel short in space. And it's so powerful that someone reminds you that you got this, reminds you that you can, you can hold that space for yourself. Um, you know, and reminds you that you are powerful and doesn't kind of belittle in that space while you're in that space while you've maybe in the space of forgotten that you're actually powerful um and so you're questioning everything and you're in doubt and all the things and and sometimes just somebody really being in the empathic frequency of i know the only reason you got this is because you're ready to face it because you're ready to clear it instead of oh god i feel so bad for you Right, which is right. Entity, which is so disconnecting. It is so disconnecting and it is so disempowering. Oh. And, you know, I want to also comment that in addition to sympathy, I actually think that there's a, an irony with empaths is that sometimes empaths can get so caught up in the feelings of what they're picking up from other people and so overwhelmed by those feelings that they lack the capacity for empathy. Because from my perspective, true empathy is the ability to recognize what somebody is going through, have deep compassion and love for what they're going through. Like really be like, I get it. I understand that you're really experiencing this, but true empathy is also the ability to recognize that that's their experience, not my experience. Mm -hmm. And the thing I've seen with a lot of empaths is that empaths can get so caught up in being overwhelmed by the intensity that not only do they get stuck, suck into, sucked into that weird, like, like saccharine sympathetic thing, but they can also get so caught up in the emotional intensity of it that they end up feeling more 
about the experience that person is going through than the person themselves and can really pull focus so that it ends up being not about the client or about the person going through the experience at all, but really about the empaths, like, like sort of secondary processing of that experience, which yeah. is really not helpful. And I think in yeah. some ways is probably the least attractive trait of empaths is when we get um, caught up in that overwhelm and we're just like running down the road in our own little personal hell, but claiming it's about that other person when it's kind of like, no, uh, you left, you know, like that left the building a long time ago, peeps. Like, you know, <laughs> now it's, now okay. it's like, you're the one who's dealing with all of it. Yeah. Oh, I love this, Jennifer. I could literally speak to you all day. I yes, you know this because we we work we work together, yep. and um, yes, and we've had many a long conversation. Yes, we have many a long, <laughs> juicy, juicy conversation. Yep. I just want to thank everybody that's listened to this podcast, and hopefully, you really enjoyed. Leave a comment for us in the comment section. But Jen, before we let you go, where can they find you on the interwebs? How can they work with you? If you've listened to this and you're like, you've had like aha moments, ding, ding, ding. You're realizing like, holy moly, I can now see where my empath inside me has maybe been running amok and I'm going to need a fairy godmother up in here. Where can they find you? So my basically empathicmastery.com is where you can find me and all of my handles on social are really conveniently at empathic mastery. Amazing. Amazing. And your book is also available on Amazon as well. So that is empathic mastery. It is literally the Bible for being an empath. So um, go get that on Amazon. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining Joanna, us thank you so much for having me. This has been such a good conversation. It's been so juicy. I think there's so many nuggets in here. Oh my thank God, so many, yeah. 